Hey guys, uh, hopefully you can hear me. I'm wearing my uh, Air, AirPods again. And this week on our Daniel study, I'm going to talk about protecting identity. So again, I started this study of Daniel um, to dive into the end times and was shocked to find all of the application for marketplace ministers, which if you're a Christian and you have a job or own a business, you are a marketplace minister. You're on the front lines of um, the fight and uh, the most important aspect of the kingdom of God because he's after nations. And uh, so, again, if you cannot hear me, please put that in the comments. Technology makes me a little bit nervous. So we're going to look at uh, Daniel chapter 1. I'm reading out of the uh, New Living Translation. And this is right after Daniel and his friends have been um, basically taken into exile and appointed uh, to possibly serve in the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of Babylon. And so in verse six, it says that actually we're going to start in. Oh, no, nope, we'll be starting in verse six. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael. And Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Now, um, this is very common back then when... Uh, you know, a nation would overtake another nation. And uh, basically, they're trying to erase the identity that you have and the connection that you have uh, with your old country, your um, former culture, etc. And um, they basically named these individuals after pagan gods and um, the idolatry that was dominant in Babylon. And uh, so they basically, you know, when another nation took another nation back in those days, it was their God defeated the other God. And we talked about that last week. And so for them, it was only fitting to change these uh, exiles, these captives, uh, not really exiles or captives to change their names after the Babylonian gods. So Daniel's name actually means God has judged, which was a fitting name for his nation because God judged the nation of Israel, uh, but also for the future of his nation when God would give a verdict for uh, Israel. And um, But in Babylon, his name Belteshazzar meant Bel protect him. So Bel was their main God. Okay, Hananiah, and I'm going somewhere with this for you, so uh, hang in hang in there with me. So Hananiah means the Lord is gracious or merciful and gift. Shadrach means I am fearful of God with a little g, okay? Uh, Michelle or Mishael uh, means who is asked for. And Meshach means who is like Aku or it could mean I am of little account. Now, Aku was the moon god, but the name carried the idea of being rejected and despised. So you can kind of see um, the esteem these people were held in. Um, really, the only one that had much esteem at this point was possibly Daniel. And then you've got Azariah, 
which means the Lord helps, he was renamed to Abednego, which means servant of Nego, a Babylonian god. Now, Nego is actually Nabu uh, in the Babylonian language, and he was a major, major god in the Babylonian pantheon. He was also the patron of the art of writing, and he was considered a god of light. Now, I've got this little quote here that uh, Samson Datana, the last king of the first dynasty of Babylon, so this was between 1625 and 1595 BC, introduced a statue of Nabu in Escagila uh, at the temple of Marduk, who was the city god of Babylon. I mean, they had all kinds of, you know, gods. And uh, not until the first millennium BC, however, did the relationship between Marduk and Nabu and their relative positions in theology and popular devotion become clear. Marduk was considered the father of Nabu, and he took precedence over Nabu, at least theoretically, in Babylonia. But in popular devotion, it was Nabu, the son who knows all and sees all, who was chief, especially during the centuries immediately preceding the fall of Babylon. He had a chapel named Azida in his father's temple, uh, as, as a Gila, where at the New Year feast he was installed alongside Marduk. In his own holy city, Borsipa, he was supreme. At this time, Nabu was also a pro prominent deity in Assyria, where several temples were devoted to his worship. So I read all that to let you know and to remind you that again, they're trying to erase the identity of these young men. They're trying to assimilate them into their culture as captives and to identify as Babylonian now because that is where they're at. And, uh, and so it was a very, you know, intentional process. Well, Nabu is mentioned in Isaiah 46.1 as the son of Marduk. And his name comes from the base name or word that means to call or herald. He's also listed as the Lord of Wisdom, and he fixes destinies. He and Marduk far outnumbered all the other deities in greetings. Okay, so they would use the God's names in greetings. Nabu is in Nebuchadnezzar's name and also other kings. Scribes believed that Nabu, quote, reflected the powerful position of human scribes, and they viewed them as their patron and protector. Some of the gods' temples had libraries, and Nabu's tablet of destinies had the names of those he favored, similar to our book of life. Now, why is this important? A name is an identity given by the one who names us. So we see that Daniel loved the judgments of God and that loving the judgments of God, even though he was having to live in the midst of a judgment against his nation, which personally impacted him, he still loved the judgments of the Lord. In fact, I think it's Psalm 119 says that we're supposed to love his judgments. We're supposed to actually pant after them like we would after water if we were very thirsty. Um, now, Daniel, who loved the judgments of the Lord, was um, a wise counselor or elder to several kings, and he knew that he was protected by the one true God, not Bel. Hananiah knew that the Lord was gracious and merciful, 
a God who loves in the extreme and is slow to anger. Mishnah, or Mishael, is the one God asks for. He is not despised. And Azariah knew that it was the Lord who helps when called upon, who fixes destinies and is wisdom. So their identity is what protected them and kept them safe from Babylonian influence. So like we talked about last week, you need to know who you are. And so if you don't, the influence of the marketplace will have a stronger impact on you than you actually influencing the influencers. So we don't, as marketplace ministers, want to go into the marketplace and not understand that because it will make us susceptible to Babylonian thinking. And so in order to maintain kingdom thinking and allowing the kingdom leaven to penetrate our mindset, our worldview, how we do business, how we interact with those who know the Lord and who don't know the Lord, all of those things are protected in who God says we are. So if you know who God says you are, then you will be able to influence in that vein versus other people giving you a name and trying to box you in uh, by their perception of you. So it's very important to know who you are. And I know we say that all the time in Christendom, but a lot of people have no idea who they are. And the only way you know that is through the word, especially the epistles, also through uh, personal prophetic words and things that the Lord shares with you and the things that he says that you are. And uh, now in, um, let's see, oh my goodness, do I not have this? Um, I always do this. So it's uh, chapter 10, 18, and I think it's in 1 Corinthians, but it might be 2 Corinthians. But it says, when people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is for the Lord to commend them. Now, this is another key to being a marketplace influencer like Daniel and his uh, comrades, because if you have insecurity, if you have low self-esteem, then the opinion of man will become more important to you than God's opinion of you. And so you have to learn to navigate through praise and navigate through criticism. You have to learn to navigate through acceptance and navigate through rejection, which can literally change on the flip of a dime. You can have a great business relationship and then a decision can make everything go south quick. And in fact, I just had one of those instances with a, a person who is a believer, but because of their insecurities and their inability to conduct business um, really biblically, uh, and their inability to um, keep their word, it actually caused a lot of problems and it cost them over a grand. And um, and so, you know, sometimes, I mean, I like this person, we got along fine, but uh, business is business. And um, my job is not, you know, to let you off the hook when, you know, you shouldn't be. Other times, I'll be fine. It's like no big deal. But this one, I knew Holy Spirit was telling me to stand strong. But the point of that was that one minute, there's a great relationship and things are going the way they should. The next minute, things are not going the way they should. And I had to make some hard decisions. So the word commend here means to indicate approval of a person or event, 
with the implication that others adopt the same attitude or to recommend. Now, this is the epitome of networking, uh, word of mouth networking, actually. Um, the word of mouth networking, if it's good, can go a long, long way. If it's bad, it can go a longer way. And uh, so we have to be very careful how we talk about others and the things that we say, because you don't want to impact others in a negative way based on maybe one experience you've had with somebody. So I'm very careful on giving my endorsement, but I'm also very careful in talking about another company when it's a negative way. Now, if I know for a fact things are lacking integrity, et cetera, I will say something. But other than that, I will usually just keep my mouth shut unless I feel like someone's about to have a mess on their hands. Um, but its most basic meaning is to stand with. I also like this one. This is one of my favorites. To present to one's acquaintance for favorable notice. Again, word of mouth networking. Present as worthy to declare, make known, and conspicuous. So if we look back, the verse says when people commend themselves, it doesn't commit. Com uh, count for much. The important thing is for the Lord to commend them. So what that means is God names me, God commends me, God stands with me as a proud father to recommend me. He makes me known. Uh, he makes me conspicuous or he makes me stand out like a mountain that juts above all the others, which by the way, is the definition of the word uh, excellent that Daniel had an excellent spirit in him. He jutted above all of his companions. And then also, he's the one that declares who I am using the gifts, the skill sets, and the personality that he's given me. So I don't need to become someone I'm not. At the same time, I need to recognize the weaknesses in my personality, work on those at the same time, recognizing my strengths overextended can become a weakness. So I'm always being self-aware and emotionally aware in how I conduct business. So no culture should rename us, which is especially important in the marketplace. You have to be secure in who you are and who he is, or you might be swayed by opinions, good or bad, of those around you. And those opinions can sometimes make it almost impossible for you to maintain integrity. And integrity is doing the right thing when no one is looking, and that's crucial in the marketplace. So let's finish up with verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. We're going to read to verse 10. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these un unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Now, this is a legitimate concern. This is a life or death situation. But the word determined is the idea that God had, that Daniel had already determined in his heart, which is the seat of one's inner nature and all of its components not to be defiled. So his determination would have been to the death. Like he would have died to not eat the king's food, which was considered unclean for him as a Jewish youth. And uh, so he was committed. He was not going to compromise, but he also had to go about it in a way that was diplomatic. And so he uh, asked permission of the chief of staff. He didn't just go on a hunger strike. He asked permission out of respect for the chief of staff, but he probably also recognized 
that the chief of staff had affection for him. So it would have been a violation of that affection as well as unwise to get really obstinate. But instead, let's be strategic and ask permission. So he does that instead of being obnoxious. Now, the word eat here, interestingly, is the same word for defile. So eat and defile, exact same word. So that's kind of what was happening is I cannot defile myself as a person who believes in Yahweh. So God had already prepared the way by giving the chief of staff respect and affection for Daniel. And the word respect is hesed, which is a Hebrew word for loving kindness. So he felt a tenderness and a loving kindness toward the Lord and then, or toward Daniel. And then the word affection refers to the warm and tender emotions one has for another or the favor of God. And uh, so in spite of that, he also feared death. And Daniel needed to address it because, excuse me, there's no way he could present these youths. It was his job to care for them, looking pale and thin. So here enters Daniel's supernatural wisdom. In verse 11, Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Daniel said at the uh, end of the 10 days, we see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's uh, suggestion and tested them for 10 days. Guys, this is a business model. So he's basically like, okay, let's do some research and development and test the idea for 10 days. And if what we're saying will happen is not happening, then feel free to go from there. But at the, in the meantime, let's do some research and development on this idea. And so he um, has a timeline that he can go by. It's not going to be the entire time between when they get started on this special diet and the unit has to present them to the king. There's a, a short time span, time span to prove Daniel's hypothesis. So in verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and wine provided uh, for the others. Now, this is so neat. The business marketplace is all about solving problems. That's why, quite frankly, business owners look at how churches approach things, especially finances and ideas, kind of with a critical eye. Because it's like you get the, the instruction from the top. There's no communication with anybody else where it's going to, you know, especially the people it's going to impact. Uh, the idea is executed. It doesn't work or people just aren't interested. And then the people in church are um, chastised for not volunteering or whatever else. Business people think totally different. We, it's not a this or that for us. We look at all of the angles and hopefully execute wisdom in which ones we pick to solve problems. And I think, quite frankly, if more churches would approach um, situations with that frame set, uh, we'd be a lot better off and get a lot more done. I don't think a church should be ran as if it's a business because you get a weird mindset, but I think it should be ran as if it was a business at times. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. Now, um, the results were basically God's response 
to Daniel's commitment and faith in him. And I love this because as a marketplace minister, I am committed to the Lord. I'm committed to our relationship and I can trust him for answers to enigmas, challenges, and anything else that I might face and have even better results uh, than those around me. Also, I have a lot of favor on me and, and I know it. I know I do. And he, I mean, he just does everything abundantly well. It's impossible for him to be mediocre. So as long as you're following his leading and you're using his wisdom, you will outshine all of your competition. But that shouldn't be the main goal. The main goal should be, I am going to solve my client's problems, my customer's problems, with absolutely excellent and elite products and services. And that then will give me a trust currency with them where they know I genuinely care. They are not a paycheck. They're not the next sale. I genuinely care for my clients and my customers. Therefore, they trust me and they're going to allow me to speak into their life and influence them. So that's, that's the goal. And so allow God to work through you. Again, like I said last week, I cannot tell you how many times a client presents me with a problem. And on the outside, I'm like, yeah, you know, absolutely, we can take care of that. Not sure how right now. So let me get back to you. Or as I'm like listening and I'm like beginning to panic a little bit, you know, on the inside, it's like, ah, and this idea will come forth. I'll share the idea. We'll execute it. And I can't think of a time it's not worked. I mean, there's, you know, I've definitely had failures, that's for sure, and challenges and obstacles. But when I get that idea from Holy Spirit, it's that's what wisdom is. The best plan to approach something, the best way to get the best results. So you marketplace ministers, you are anointed and you are equipped. So get your identity, get God's opinion of you, and allow that to insulate you from the opinion and influence of others that might lead you to decisions that are not good for you and that do not have integrity. All right. Well, if I have time tomorrow, I'm going to do the urgent education, the second one. I may not. It may be Friday because I kind of like lost all of September. And so now I'm squishing all of my um, social media content creation and posting in one week. Yeah, it's not good. But anyway, I'm going to try to get to it Friday. So hopefully I'll see you either tomorrow or Friday for urgent education.